Hello and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. The Skewer is a live monthly news review the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. This particular edition of the Skewer was recorded on November 6th, 2019. Enjoy! Yeah, no, that, that's fine. I'm not greedy. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to this skewer, a live monthly satirical news review satirizing the dumb news of the month that was. Hello, welcome to it. I'm your host for tonight, Tom Harrison, and if you don't know... This is our fourth anniversary of skewering. Four fucking years, people. That's 14% of my goddamn life. That's as long as one entire college. Listen, folks, I'm not famous. I never paid my dues. I just started doing this one day and nobody stopped me. Why didn't you? <laughs> when we started this show, I wasn't even smart. I'm still trying to become funny. Four years ago, I thought Obama was a radical dude and great president, unlike now, where I know he's a weird princeling, obsessed with dropping bombs on weddings and diffusing political excitement in young people. But I fucking did it anyway. <laughs> Four years. Four very long, very difficult years. You know, I often sort of downplay this show as like a self-deprecation move, but uh, fuck that. No more. Never again will the skewer just be a bunch of reedy nerds in a dark room chuckling to themselves, doing the poetry snaps. Give me some snaps. Hey, I'm reading a poem. No, no, fuck that. The skewer is officially a Chicago institution that you are required to respect. Sorry, folks, it's not optional anymore. We're iconic, and that's that. I have seen shows be born, bloom, and die, and we stay standing. I have also seen shows surpass us in a huge way, and... they're still around and doing great, but sh- 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 don't talk about that. We are now a fixture in Chicago's unique culture. Fucking Kingston Mines, the Art Institute, Paper Machete, the Sears Tower, I don't know, Giordano's, and the Skewer. They're, these are all the same to me. They're the same. Shut up. If you want to deny it, Start your own show, keep that going for four years, and if you still disagree then, you can come and tell me about it. Except when you do, the skewer will be eight years old. Which I'm pretty sure is old enough to drive, so won't won't you look like an idiot? Now you may be thinking a show can't become a Chicago institution you are required to respect without some significant accomplishments under its belt. First, why would you think that? Can't... Can't you let me have this? 
And second, we, I, we, fucking, we, we do. We fucking have them. We did do that. I have a list. I'm going to do the list. Number one. The Skewer has featured dozens of incredibly talented and hilarious writers from all disciplines, featuring many who are making their live performance debuts. And we have paid every single one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if this is common like now, because I don't really leave my house. Uh, but in the, in the old days, a live lit show paying you was unheard of. Art is work and deserves compensation. Number two. Yeah, give me some poetry stamps for that one. <laughs> Number two. The Skewer published two real paper books that I have held in my disgusting human fingers. <laughs> filled with extremely good satire writing that I am so proud of. Uh, before we decided not to do it anymore because it is too hard. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... It's not a joke. <laughs> it's really hard. And it, we sold like 10. <laughs> Number three. We fucking record all these. So there's a record of them. You can listen to them whenever. And like the first 20 are f- the audio quality. I don't know what I was fucking thinking. It's unlistenable. But <laughs> after, I got, after I bought this mic, they started sounding good. <laughs> Number four, we have offered a stage for a wide variety of political views. From the far left... All the way to the middle left. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, and number five, for those of you who might accuse us of being an echo chamber that doesn't really do anything of any import, I have just received news earlier today that someone played an old skewer podcast near Donald Trump and he immediately exploded. <laughs> So, advocacy. <laughs> I also think we deserve to be graded on a curve, because this is a political satire show that started literal seconds before existence took a sharp turn into the stupidest possible timeline, <laughs> where every single person with power decided that now we're going to become a farting clown whose every action is sillier and broader than any spoof could ever be. <laughs> This is why every Trump impression fucking sucks. SNL has a room full of the best comedy writers in the world. And they spend a week writing a bunch of jokes about hamburgers. And when they air it, everyone is like, who cares? Hamburgers happened a hundred years ago. He's made 50 way weirder moves since then. Hamburgers is actually normal now. It's not even weird anymore. That's actually how you say the word now. That's the right way. The thing we care about now is the Sharpie hurricane thing. The funny thing about that joke is that it probably took you a second to remember the Sharpie hurricane thing. And when you did, it seemed as far away to you as like your first day of high school. Listen, folks, I love the skewer. I love doing this, but it is one million percent a big cheese grater shredding my brain 24 hours a day. <laughs> I started this show 80 years ago when I was a baby. <laughs> I had hope. I had a comedy writing philosophy. <laughs> I voted blue no matter who. I still do that now, but now I whine about it. 
I have become a shambling husk for whom the light of the blessed sun has become a hateful torturer. Ooh, take it away. If I saw tomorrow on the news that Rudy Giuliani ate Chuck Schumer and now he just gets to be on the Supreme Court for free and counts for two votes, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. Way to go, Chuck, you idiot. (laughs) But despite it all, it was worth it because I am now a Chicago institution that you were required to respect. They are going to replace one of the lions at the Art Institute with me now. Anyone tries to step to me with some shit like, Tom, wouldn't a Chicago institution have a bigger crowd? I'd be like, we're a hidden gem, you idiot. And listen, buddy, if you're wondering why my pieces are always full of weird hypothetical people walking up to me and saying really hurtful things that I have to respond to, uh, that makes two of us. (laughs) Okay. I thank all of you for being here. It is the support of people like you that makes The Skewer an actual show. We've, thank God, never committed the unforgivable sin of having more performers in the audience than fucking civilians. So thank you for that. Uh, Big thanks to Skewer co-producer Eric Dreisbach for being the reason I didn't give up out of exhaustion in year two. She is smarter and harder working than I am. Uh, and of course, thanks to the absent but never forgotten Skewer co-founder Eric Ruel for being the reason the show exists in the first place. Yeah, I'll give him a little. <laughs> it really is a highlight to be here with such lovely people in what is invariably an extremely good time. You think we should go another year? Thank you. That's been me. Clap again. I I finished. (laughs) Oh, oh, it's a fun show. We're going to have a great show for you. We have uh, a delightful set of op-ed writers who are going to read you delightful essays about news of the month. When I say delightful, they might like be depressing, but they're still going to be good. Uh, The news just is that way. Uh, But before we get to that, I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna have to play a little game. I think we're gonna have to play a game. Please come to the stage, our game master, Kevin Johnson. <laughs> that was more difficult than normal. Kevin, what's the game? I don't fucking know. <laughs> oh wait, I, I do I, know. Honestly, I love how absolutely contemptuous you've become of this segment. Yup, you just refused. I've, I've only done this for two years, so it's not yet a Chicago institution. So I don't have to care about it. I don't have to respect it yet. Tom. It's true. That's true. Uh, it's uh, it's two truths and a lie, except with headlines. Yeah, three stories, one you made up. I, yeah, I'll, I'll be. I'll leave now. I didn't really make them. I like tweak them in the worst ways so that it's <laughs> difficult, and people like that. I don't know why. If you come on stage, I'll give you a drink ticket. Or if you win. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Anyway, do I have a volunteer to be wrong? You can also... Oh, oh, oh. Hi. Hello. Oh, thank you. Tom's going to handle that. Thank you. What's your name? I'm Rachel. I'm Kevin. Hi, Kevin. Say hi, Rachel. Hi, Rachel. 
Cool. Um, so I'll give you two options. You could either just go by yourself, or you can be like the uh, the, ask, ask the champion audience. of the people. Okay. Okay. And you could just like they'll yell at you. Which one do you prefer? <laughs> they will uh, yell at you. I'll include everybody. Why all right. All right. All right. All right, so yeah, you are the final decision on that. Okay. So if they all vote for C, you can say, fuck you, I'm going to go with A. That's what that's, you can do that. All right, so you're going to do three stories. I'm going to start you off with the first one. Are 90% of giraffes gay or just misunderstood? So I have to respond to that? No. Okay. <laughs> In fact, it is preferred that you do not. I, I don't know, it doesn't really matter. Story two, Will a Fortune contestant uses his intro to say he's trapped in a loveless marriage and wants a divorce. That's sad. Story three, Australia's government is floating an idea to scan internet users' faces before they watch porn online. Which of those is fake? Which of them is fake? Mm -hmm. I think I have an idea. But, uh, okay, so number one, I forgot about that. Who thinks number one is fake? All right. <laughs> Number two. Okay. That... Two's a Wheel of Fortune thing. I, I, I happen to know that. I don't. Sure. Sure. Why not? I, yeah, I know that that one's true. You know that that one's true. I know that that one's true. That's interesting. Um. All right. Three is the Australia internet porn. How do you feel yeah. about that? So number three, you guys. Do you think that's fake? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, I'm going to go with three is fake. No, that's real. Wow. They definitely want to scan your face while you're jerking off. Or before you turn? I don't know. Anyway, so two is kind of true, but it is not because I twisted it. So he said he said that he is trapped in a loveless marriage, but he did not say that he wants a divorce. His wife actually knew that he was going to say that, and she she thought that if he said that she was gorgeous, people would be like, "Why is he saying that? He's lying." And they're actually just like happy in a marriage. Okay, because that was the only one that I. Yeah, he was just being a dick because they love each other like that. Because that was the only one I've actually like seen. Like, yep, and, and that's I, why I broke your whole mind. You broke, my, you broke my mind. We're moving on to the second set. Okay, Richmond homeowner. Wait, am I still... I, I'm yeah, still you're still do- here. Oh, wow, okay. You're still here. Okay. Oh, three sets. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Richmond homeowner stumped by stolen sidewalk saying, I did not ask for this. <laughs> Say that one more time. A homeowner in Richmond, Virginia, was stumped because her sidewalk was stolen. (laughs) And what she said was, I did not ask for this. That's story one. Story two, milkmen are returning to Portland as it is a hipster hellhole. Okay. Story three, this one's a little bit longer, I'm going to try and... Okay. Okay. After criticism, Italian youth, I call them Italians because they are Italians, <laughs> youth soccer team scales back their protests against racism in the sport, which would have included playing in blackface. 
okay. <laughs> um, just just have them yell it out all at the same time. Which which one of y'all think is fake? All right, all right. So why can't they like bring like oat milkmen or something? Oat oat, oat, oat milkmen. Milk? They could probably milk some oak trees or some shit. I don't fucking know. Yeah, Weeping willows or something. Which one? Which one? Oh, just gosh. yell it out real quick. Um, it's not an SAT. I'll just go with two. That is correct. Oh, you did it. You did it. So milkmen are actually returning to London as millennials are like, oh, I want glass instead of plastic because they watch Blue Planet 2 with David Attenborough. Uh, That's the thing. I don't know. There you go. Now you know that now. All right. Your third set of stories, and then we can get the fuck out of here. One, want to run more efficiently? Scientists say, tie your feet together. (laughs) Story two, Jesus shoes are selling for $1,500, allowing you to walk on holy water blessed by a priest. $1,500. $1,500. Do you own them? She's just like, yeah, those are fucking true. She's like, I, no, it's true. Okay, okay, third story. You can now eat fried chicken that tastes like centipedes. How is it backwards? Huh. All right. That would be interesting. Is it something I would do? Okay. It might be something I would do, but did I do it? Interesting, interesting. Um, what do y'all okay. think it is? What do you guys think is fake? Three. three. These five people in the front say three. I, no I, one else is voting. I'm this feels like democracy here. to me. What did you say? I'll just go with three. All right, fine. Just fine, fine, fine. Just go with three. Anyway, yes, that is correct. Yay! Okay, one... It is not centipedes that taste like chicken. I added centipedes just because I know Tom hates them. <laughs> you can now eat fried chicken that tastes like girls' feet. What? The what? fetish-inspired fetish flavor claims to mimic the smell and stickiness of the underside of a woman's foot. No. There you go. Now you know that. Yeah, I don't know. I just added centipedes because it was fun. Here you go. Thank you get a drink ticket. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thanks. Tom, come back to the stage and say more words so I can leave. Thank you, Kevin. One more time for Kevin Johnson for the Fake News Quiz. This shit's awful. Why would you put that in my brain? Ugh. All right, so it's time to move on to the op-ed portion of our evening. And our first op-ed reader is the Illinois State Captain from the grassroots organization Demcast. Uh, he is also a former, uh, former podcast host and political strategist. Good move on getting out of that podcast game. Um, in July, he became a candidate for Illinois State Representative in District 42, located in the western suburbs. When he isn't campaign- campaigning, writing, or sleeping, he's watching Bob's Burgers on Hulu. Good fucking choice. Please welcome to the stage Ken Magia Beal. How's everybody doing tonight? Really quickly, I get in trouble if somebody doesn't take pictures of me anytime I open my mouth. So who wants to... Right there. There you go. I might use foul language. (laughs) So, 
couple of weeks ago, about a month ago, I was asked to come and I was really excited, but I couldn't figure out what news story I would talk about. So then it happened. I'm in bed, two in the morning. How many cat owners do we have out there? Yes. So they are, and I'm getting there. So 2 a.m., I wake up, sort of, and I hear my cat destroying everything I own, which is normal, so keep that in mind. But I said, it's not, he's not in danger, I'm not in danger, it's not expensive, I'm okay. And then you hear the sound that every cat owner dreads, the sound that things have gotten real and you have to get out of bed to see what's going on. So I hear a bowl fall to the floor, and then I hear my dog jump off of a couch, and he's going to the candy bowl. Yeah. So I get up, and then it hit me. My dog just ate Skittles, so I'm going to have to get up super early tomorrow to take care of this. But then it also hit me of what I was going to write about, which is if Democratic presidential candidates were candy for Halloween, which candy would they be? In no particular order, except alphabetical. The, the presidential candidate. That was a good question, though. Thank you. First, we have Vice President Joe Biden. Candy corn. The pro is traditional. When you see it, you think, oh, Halloween. I want to put it in my dish. The con, when you taste it, you think, why did I buy this? Why do other people buy it? And why do people like it so much? Hence, Vice President Joe Biden. Second, Senator Cory Booker. When I think of Halloween candy and Cory Booker, I think gummy worms. The pro about gummy worms, they're fun. And people don't really hand them out for Halloween. So if you get it, you're excited. Here's the con, though. Gummy worms are the number one candy that folks choke on here in America. And when you think of, you know, ties to the pharmaceutical industry, just leave that, let that linger there for a moment. Third, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. When I think of Mayor Pete, I think Giardelli Squares. They're sophisticated, they're expensive, they taste good. Here's the con, though. Are they too complex for Halloween? Is it a little too much going on? They're squares. They break. It's a lot. Next up, Julian Castro. He is a fun-sized baby Ruth. And I'm going to explain this in... Most of you are going to agree with me unless you have a nut allergy. 
They are literally the most perfect candy bar ever made in the history of the world. They're delicious. They have everything you need. Khan, whoever thinks about it until it's in front of your face. When it's in your face, you think, this is great. But when is the last time you said, I'm going to go out and get a baby Ruth? And then we have Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. As the crowd goes darker. When I think Halloween and I think Tulsi, I think those many bottles of Russian vodka. Pro, people love vodka. Con, we're giving it to children. We're giving children something they don't need and we're passing it down. We're passing alcoholism down. Let's not give children Russian vodka. Next up, Senator Kamala Harris. When I think of Senator Harris, I think jawbreaker. I'm not going there, guys. Is that where I'm going with this? The pro is, it is a powerful candy. And it tastes good. Here's the con, though. You put it in your mouth, and it's like, this is good. It's going somewhere. And it keeps going and going and going. And then when it's done, you're like, I I don't know what I was supposed to get from that. But I had it. (laughs) Then we have Senator Amy Klobuchar. When I think of Amy, I think little fun-sized bags of pretzels. (laughs) Hear me out. They're nutritious, and you can put them in your lunch bag. Here's the downside, the con, to pretzels. Who wants them on Halloween? Do you want them? I don't want them. They're kind of boring. Yeah, they check off every box, but nobody wants it. Next up, we have Senator Bernie Sanders. And when I think of Senator Bernie Sanders, the candy that pops in my head, a full-size Snickers bar. It is a full-size candy bar on Halloween. (laughs) It's a lot. It's perfect. And he gives them to everybody. Here's the con. Is it too much for folks on Halloween? (laughs) Do we really want the kids to have all the full-size candy bars? As he nods silently. (laughs) Next up, Senator Elizabeth Warren. When I think Senator Elizabeth Warren, I think fruit snacks. (laughs) I'm not even there yet. The pro, they're delicious. They're nutritious. You can put them on yogurt and ice cream. It makes it complete. Here's the con, though, with the fruit snacks. You put one in your mouth. Cherry. I like cherry. Cherry's good. You get another one. It's grape. It's changed. It's different. 
You get used to the grape. Oh, no, it's strawberry now. It keeps changing. It changes. And by the time you get to the bottom of the bag, do you really know what you had? (laughs) And then Marianne Williamson. I feel at home now. Thank you. Pop rocks. Because it's absolutely crazy the way it works. It makes noise. And then when you mix it with normal stuff like Coca-Cola, it gets crazier. The con. When you mix it with normal stuff, it gets crazier. It's absolutely insane. And it can hurt the roof of your mouth. If you don't treat it with love. So... It's all the time I had for the presidential candidates. So if I did not mention someone that you are planning on voting for, me not mentioning them is not going to be the biggest disappointment you have (laughs) this time next year. Thank you, guys. One more time for Ken. Come on. There we go. Uh, When Ken first pitched this to me, I was like, one, fucking yeah. (laughs) And two, he was like, one of the candidates is black licorice. And I'm like, holy shit. Don't tell me if I'm right. But is it? I'm not going to tell you who I guessed. I guessed two possible candidates. I was wrong. And then uh, when when a, a certain skateboarding guy from Texas dropped out, I received an email unprompted saying Black Licorice is no longer in the race. (laughs) So, our second op-ed reader of the evening is Maya Marshall. Maya Marshall is a writer and editor and co-founder of UnderbellyMag.com, the journal on the practical magic of poetic revision. Marshall has earned fellowships from McDowell, the Vermont Studio Center, Callaloo, Cave, Canem, and the Community of Writers. Her works as a manuscript editor, or rather, she works as a manuscript editor for Haymarket Books and has served as a senior editor for Pank. Her writing has appeared in or is forthcoming in Best New Poets 2019, Rhino, Potomac Review, Blackbird, The Volta, and elsewhere. Please welcome Maya Marshall. Excellent. Those are the first few words of my essay. <laughs> my uh, audible? Yes. Excellent. I'm a poet, not a prose writer, so uh, be gentle. Suppose I'm a prose writer, I wrote this prose. Hi, hello there. I'm Maya. I know you, like me, are anxiety ridden, highly informed, suffering from debt, family drama. Some other scars undergrad left you with? Here's a corporate icebreaker my brother told me about in a Key Foods parking lot. You been to Key Foods? Any New Yorkers? It's a grocery store. (laughs) She's like, I feel that. All right, here's the icebreaker. Get your interns and their supervisors in a room. Ask them, 
to line up by skin color and then close their eyes and turn to the front of the line. All right? But we're not done. So then, you ask them, sorry, I'm going to read. Tell them to turn toward the front of the line and then pause for effect. Fine to your delight, a smattering of responses, all the dead poets' society. Note at least one person has exercised his right not to turn. We're not done. Now, eyes open, new silent animosity is established. Ask them to line up by class. Yes, it's an exercise intended to open up difficult conversations, and I wonder if those young people fully understand the import of the decision to go to a four-year college to get an internship in an effort to find a solidly middle-class job where the intersection of race and gender will, despite their learning, partially determine their class and their upward or downward mobility. My brother is a man I respect and admire, but from whom I am very, very different. Not only because... For most of my formative years, I was raised in a middle-class household, like you, many of you, some of you. Not like him. Um, And also because I've I've let that sort of follow-your-dream years move directly into my (laughs) mid-30s. Holding on to it. Rather than taking an alternative route that's arguably fiscally more responsible, like finding a fine job and a decent company and marrying and refraining from moving across the country every three or four years. Totally reasonable. Anyway, I want to tell you two things. One, my brother said he doesn't believe in class. That's that's right. (laughs) The socioeconomic strata, not rooms where learning happens. He believes in those. He's been to them. He's not sure he believes in socioeconomic <laughs> class. And so I believe he has lost some really important piece of his mind. <laughs> or, maybe more fairly, that he simply didn't express enough of it to sound sane. I say this with love and a little bit of jealousy. I'm talking to you because I cannot stop thinking about it, how all of us adult siblings, all seven of us, have ended up in various social and economic classes. And the second thing I want to tell you is we should tax the rich and use the money to pay to educate our nation's youth so that we don't saddle teenagers and their co-signers with debt, which could, before too long, cause another bubble and another bubble burst. Right? I mean, it's... Okay. So... (laughs) Now you're probably asking yourself, why is, she, why, is she, why is she talking about this? This is why. Here's the title of the piece of foolishness I read in the New York Times. Radical survival strategies for struggling colleges. Mergers, acquisitions, shorter degree programs, and major shifts in course offerings are just some of the tactics being employed to lure more students. No, you know, just hang out, candy, and... Ask him to come in. (laughs) The meat of the argument is this. Sell the halls of human inquiry to corporations. Yes. It's some bullshit, right? So with the language of the predators, the New York Times documents strategies to lure more customers. Here are the strategies. 
get into business, get into the business of corporate training so businesses foot the bill for workers. No word on whether the worker students will receive transferable skills or a complimentary ball and chain ankle bracelet for their cubicles. I don't know. Or guarantee rebates equal to half the cost of their final semester to students who graduate on time or early. Did you know that only 41% of students graduate on time? What the fuck? Where's all that money going? That is to say, schools are trying to get rid of that pesky, unproductive winter break. Up the number of credits students can take at one time so they can work like automatons without taking bathroom breaks or seeing their families or you know, work their part-time jobs to pay for school. And then the plan is to send the, parent, the, schools, the students back to the parents' households which I think is a really good plan for like leveling all of the middle class with just mental health issues. (laughs) Right? Like work without rest, get a degree that doesn't get you a job that will allow you to have your own place and then go stay with your parents. That's insane. That's crazy. Um, And they're offering casino management. Can't afford not to study it. You need that and graduate certificates and regulating legalized marijuana because there's always money in the banana stand. (laughs) If the banana is human vice. And I guess the folks over at the National Liquor Law Enforcement Association are not hiring. Here's my favorite bit. The target audience for this hard sell, international graduate students, and Hispanics 18 and under, whose numbers will double by 2060. Did you get that? The people colleges are after are the ones being banned from entering the country, and the children of the ones being deported at the highest rate. It's cute, right? So I'm just saying, what if, and bear with me, instead of mergers and acquisitions and branding, we lower the cost of college for students, thereby decreasing the need for student loans, Maybe then 18-year-olds would enroll in college and graduate and turn into adults who don't have mental meltdowns in grocery store parking lots. I'm saying increase public higher education funding by taxing the rich, the corporations, and the banks. They're people, right? Crazy, I know, and complex, yes, but feasible. And a big, fragmented Generation Z to Generation X set of siblings like mine, questions like who inherits care work and for whom, who comes up with the extra money to pay to send all of the cousins to summer camp in Connecticut. Those things highlight in big, sweeping highlighter yellow the differences between the outcome of the financial education decisions we all made when we were 18 and the lives we lead now at 30, 35, 40, 45, right? Anyway, these questions of have and have not bump up hard against the God blesses the child that's got his own mentality to which my hardworking, talented siblings subscribe. And yet somehow, one of those kids who came from poor and working class people and has married a person from a very wealthy family like Rand Kellogg's Ran Kellogg's family. (laughs) Says, I'm not sure if I believe in class. 
you know, back in the day, black folks had less money, but they were always clean. What? As if miners and sanitation workers weren't middle class or that dirty work is somehow lowly. And then your head explodes all over the Key Foods grocery store parking lot because until this moment, you knew that he understood the unique position of the working artist, the chosen ceiling of the public intellectual, the sweat of his grandmother's brow, and the unsavory but nonetheless real advantages of marrying well. This may come as a shock. But I work for a lefty, socialist, political publishing house. Can you fucking believe it? I'm also a person who has not yet given up working toward my dream of being a professional poet, which is a thing, but only barely. You know, it's like there's two of them. I've not yet been invited to the party, but I expect to go. I have three jobs and two degrees and $90,000 in debt and good credit. I have a mid-range salary for people with my degree outside of the public sector. I'm middle-class and privileged and still living nearly paycheck to paycheck. We talk about these seven children from this massive constellation of parents, how two of them will stay working class, and how the actor turned foundation officer who has a day job and three children and married someone in the Kellogg's family. (laughs) It's just like regular rich, you know? Um, And then my brother says, I'm actively choosing to be poor, and maybe I am. But I have to say, with my politics and my hair and my tattoos, I'm not exactly a corporate hiring manager's ideal pick. And it's important to me that my work plays some role in improving the world. And that's a kind of choice I can make because my degree doesn't belong to a corporation. Right? I'm glad I made it. Anyway, class is complex, and education directly determines mobility. That said, I bet you will agree that education bludgeoned by debt impedes mobility and breeds folks with lots of book smarts and very pinched budgets. Raise your hand if you're one of us. One of us. (laughs) That makes college unattractive. Hell, what does a person really understand about debt at 18? Depending on their level of privilege, probably not much. I know that at 35, it makes family functions kind of unpleasant. You know? It can mean that to get all those cousins into the same camp, two parents and two siblings and another sibling have to pool money. And at the end of that, the mother still spends her rent money to pay her adult son's rent. I know that for me, it means I choose between dental work or going to family functions. And for those targeted 18-year-olds in the New York Times article, it means there are predatory lenders trading on their futures in vicious, increasingly underfunded colleges willing to sell their labor and their curricula to corporations. All right. I didn't end on a joke, but I like y'all. Please continue to give it up for Maya Marshall. I gotta say, as prose writing goes, uh, is that fucking ruled? Yeah? 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I, I literally get madder at my college every year that goes by. <laughs> literally the only class I took which has borne fruit in my life since then is the uh, required first semester class where they taught us how Excel worked. <laughs> Anyway, our final op-ed reader of the evening is a Chicago-based comedian who has opened for acts such as Hassan Minaj, Julio Torres, Tim Heidecker, and Aparna Nancherla. Uh, he runs Monkey Wrench, a monthly comedy variety show at the hideout, which is little more than a leftist plot against the ruling class. Please welcome Arish Singh. Everybody, so glad to be here on the uh, fourth anniversary of The Skewer. Give it up for the show. It's fantastic. Uh, I'm here to relate uh, the story of how I uh, lost my shit during a House uh, congressional subcommittee uh, in October. Uh, It was one on the human rights in South Asia. Um, And uh, it was during a particularly long diatribe by this... uh, journalist uh, who uh, publishes, is, I believe, based here, but also publishes in India, uh, R.T. Tiku Singh, uh, no relation, want to make that very clear, uh, was going on a diatribe about how uh, the issue of Kashmir uh, has been distorted in the Western press, uh, and was going on and on about this, and uh, finally was met with a response by uh, Ilan Omar, yes, you can cheer if you'd like, um, uh, who responded by saying, if you, if you make the incredibly dubious claim that the Indian government's crackdown in Kashmir is good for human rights, if it was so good for human rights, Ms. Singh, uh, it wouldn't be happening in secret. You make what I call a feminist case for the occupation of Kashmir and communications uh, shutdown, saying it will be better for women. Um, uh, I know this is a little bit to unpack here, but this is... Ilan Omar just destroying uh, this journalist. Um, I'll break it down for you a little bit. Uh, Kashmir uh, is a region of India that has lost its uh, autonomy that it's had since the independence of the country. It's the only Muslim-majority state uh, in India. Um, And basically what uh, the government has done there is removed its status, which is part of the whole reason it became part of the country. Um, People can go there uh, and buy property and basically change the demography, which was the whole reason for giving part of this autonomy. And uh, as has been advertised by uh, what I would describe as uh, the fascist government in charge, um, you can go there now. This is what uh, one of their officials said. um, uh, Young men of the country, you can go there now and marry yourself a Kashmiri woman. Um, And I think this is partly what uh, Ilhan Omar is alluding to. Um, Basically... uh, uh, this kind of fascist uh, orientation to um, to the politics of the BJ, uh, BJP country. Okay, let me back up a little bit. Uh, let me connect with you on the Omar stuff. Seems like there's some fans of Elon Omar here in the crowd. Um, maybe it's obvious that I'm an Elon Omar fan. Person of color, person of cover, uh, obvious connections. Um, uh, but that's, that's not the basis of my um, support for her. Um, yes, I do love that she's so adorable and so wholesome and yet frightens so many white people across the political spectrum. Um, 
really the only thing I've strived for in comedy uh, since I began. Uh, and she has outdone me thoroughly. Um, and uh, I, I'm, I'm very impressed to see her work. Um, but here she is standing up uh, for uh, the people of Kashmir uh, region. She doesn't have a particular um, you know, ethnic or cultural background. You might argue she has a religious background. But really, uh, when you get to Kashmir, what it's about, uh, again, I'll just repeat this because it's an important issue. I've been uh, doing a lot of work on this for the last few months. Uh, I just want to clarify for people, uh, this is basically a region of millions. Um, and in August, it was uh, uh, just taken over, basically. It, was, it lost its autonomy. Um, it was put under curfew. Um, the uh, internet was banned from, the, from access. Uh, landline communication was cut off, which is kind of just unheard of, um, because they were so worried that there would be a backlash to uh, losing these freedoms, these privileges. Uh, they arrested political leaders of all stripes. Um, and, uh, they, uh, and, and uh, some of that is lessened, but uh, even now there's uh, about 1.5 million kids who have no schools to attend. Uh, because of how dysfunctional and disarrayed the Indian government has allowed things to get. Um, and just tons of young people being jailed and locked up. Um, I guess you can think Chicago, but just at a huge, huge scale is uh, what's going up here. Um, uh, at least we, we uh, keep the schools closed for the right reasons. Uh, but, uh, yeah, India is, uh, is kind of... Uh, 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 not the uh, the peaceful, uh, good vibes kind of country you might have the uh, stereotype that it is. And uh, it's been a challenge for me. I particularly read with Omar here because uh, I've had to argue with um, all of my Indian friends across every social media platform. Um, I uh, did a show in New York not too long ago, and we titled it um, In Opposition to the Prime Minister uh, of the Country, who leads this fascist government. Uh, we called it Fuck Modi. Uh, Narendra Modi. Uh, it was a punk rock show. Um, and I had so many people I thought would not be angry about that. Incredibly angry about I mean, um, which, which heartened me because I thought the, the name was a little kind of stupid. Like, I mean, saying fuck Trump kind of doesn't mean anything. But uh, it's kind of, it does, you know, when you can say it and people get pissed off, it does, you know, it makes you feel good. Um, uh, but I, in fact, uh, just to give you one example, I know a guy... And basically, our only connection is we used to go to raves back in the day, and he's a big techno fan. Um, and I go hard on the dance floor, and he also goes hard on the dance floor. And uh, this guy was angry that I titled this uh, Fuck Modi. And all I can really remember of this guy is him yelling, ass, ass, titties, titties, just ad nauseum. Um, and somehow my, uh, my vulgarities uh, got the better of him uh, with this situation. So it's a very, very polarized situation within India, and it's difficult to talk about. Um, and I think in large part it's because of propaganda from the government. I don't want to uh, you know, totally sideline the things that this uh, journalist, uh, R.D. Singh, was talking about. There has been ethnic cleansing in that region uh, of Hindus, of Kashmiri pundits, uh, and that should be recognized. But Great weight of the problem is on the Indian government, how it has one of the largest military occupations in the world centered there, uh, and how it's been oppressing that region for decade over decade. Um, I, think, I, I think a lot of people would agree, since 2010, you really can't complain about militancy. What you're fighting against is uh, the autonomy of Kashmiris in that region. Uh, and I know I'm, I'm dumping information on you. If you have someone thing that you should take home for yourself, whenever anyone talks about Kashmir, it's not an issue of Pakistan versus India. It's about Kashmiris who have their own culture, their own way of living, uh, 
they want to have their own autonomy. They want to have access to resources. Uh, they want to have the jobs that other people are granted. And this is this region that's historically been ruled by a minority of uh, kind of Hindu upper class uh, people. And uh, you know, they want what everybody wants. They want to have uh, their equal access to things, their rights. They don't want to be oppressed. And uh, uh, it's standing for that. And, uh, you know, you can take – you don't have to take my word for it because uh, I think to just kind of distill it, this uh, comes from a journalist I feel who's done the best work on this uh, topic, uh, Pankaj Mishra, a uh, person of a Hindu background, um, kind of an upper caste background, someone who wouldn't necessarily assume would take this side – and he was a journalist, and uh, he kind of uh, visited the region, and it kind of changed his worldview, and he describes it as such. Um, when he went to Kashmir, uh, he found the experience strange and painfully isolating, but an absolutely crucial one. It made me see that whether you are Indian or American, black, brown, or white, to simply assume that you stand on the right side of history after having professed allegiances to certain ideological verities, in this case that India is a secular liberal democracy, obviously bringing enlightenment to this, the people of this region, uh, to certain ideological verities, rather one should try to perceive and scramble for power the clash of interests uh, and those resonant claims uh, to virtue that are being concealed. One should ask, why are people using these words of secularism, liberalism, uh, and for what purposes? And I think that would extend to, uh, in our own case, bringing democracy to the world. Um, and uh, I bring that quote up to contextualize Kashmir, but also um, to highlight that uh, that's something very brave and important to do for a journalist. Uh, Ilan Omar is doing that as a politician uh, in the belly of the beast. Uh, and I I'm, have an inordinate amount of respect for it, and it's inordinately um, life-giving to just see that. Uh, and uh, she has not done it just on, you know, these issues. India, the U.S. is not necessarily, um, you know, the backer of India or has a strong um, ideological bent there, but uh, she has taken it on where we have had a strong ideological bent. Uh, she took on Elliot Abrams, um, 1980s classic, right? Right up there. Uh, <laughs> With the cars in the clash, um, a little bit more, uh, a little bit more violent. Um, Elliot Abrams oversaw our pop, our our foreign policy in uh, in Central America, um, and was also appointed to a position to uh, when we were, you know, flirting with the idea of invading Venezuela. Uh, he was uh, in a prominent position, and Ilan Omar, who sits on the Foreign Affairs Committee, was able to kind of grill him. Um, and uh, she asked him about many things around Contra, but I think it's it's most important to uh, bring up El Mozote, uh, the El Mozote massacre because it fades from memory. And uh, she just went wild on it and asked him this: that uh, in you in, in that hearing, you dismissed uh, as communist propaganda a report that the massacre of El Mozote, in which uh, more than 800 civilians, including children as young as 12 year olds, 12 years old. Uh, were brutally murdered by U.S. trained Salvadoran troops. During that massacre, some of those troops bragged about raping uh, 12-year-old girls before they killed them. Uh, you later said that U.S. policy in El Salvador was a fabulous achievement. She just knows how to, like, dive that knife, right? That's fucking brilliant. And, uh, uh, do you feel that way still or think so? And then you just have scowling Elliot Abrams... Um, <laughs> I don't know if you've ever seen that, like, old man Jeff Dunham puppet, but he looks exactly like that at this point in his life. Um, and he's just, like, looking, and he's just exactly, like, just tilting his head like the puppet, just going nuts like that. Um, and, uh, 
Abrams tries to explain uh, Salvadoran democracy was a fabulous achievement. That's what I meant. And uh, she keeps going, no, but do you think this massacre was a fabulous achievement? He says, that's a ridiculous question. And uh, finally, he has to say no. She finally gets him to say uncle. And uh, um, he loses his shit and uh, responds to uh, the committee chair by saying, uh, I will not tolerate a personal attack. Uh, Can you imagine that? A guy responsible for the instrumental to the deaths of 800 people and uh, the rapes of children uh, not wanting to stand a personal attack. Um, I think uh, uh, that's, that's quite something. And that's quite something uh, for a politician to do in our country. Um, we were instrumental uh, in these kind of attacks. Um, and it's, it's amazing to see someone stand up for that. Uh, she's also gone on to... Uh, attack Saudi Arabia uh, for its role in Yemen. Um, Again, sort of separating herself as uh, just merely an agent for Islam, as uh, I've seen her characterized in the Indian press in particular, and uh, with better euphemisms in the American press. Um, um, And uh, I I, I think uh, you can see this kind of bent, this kind of uh, open... um, interest in foreign policy, the interest in holding uh, the U.S. accountable. She's even talked about... um, a, uh, a Green New Deal, but for foreign policy uh, in the U.S. Um, and you can see in particular her, her connection with Bernie Sanders, who, was, uh, who she endorsed on uh, October 15th of, uh, this, of our previous month. Um, she, uh, he is also someone who has uh, had to go toe-to-toe with this kind of uh, uh, red-baiting. Uh, there was an article in the New York Times where he was accused of being um, rude uh, to a woman reporter uh, who was asking about how he was in Nicaragua uh, when there were these anti-American attacks, uh, anti-American chants being said. Um, and uh, that became the issue of the story. Of course, his response was, um, they were fighting against America. Uh, what is your point that I'm shocked to learn there was anti-American sentiment, right? Um, he, uh, he goes on to say that... Uh, uh, the United States at the time, um, and this is what was considered condescending, I don't know how much you know about this, was actively supporting the Contras to overthrow the American government. Uh, so was there anti-American sentiment? I remember that event very clearly. Um, uh, of course, um, and uh, this became a bit of a debate, and uh, it's interesting. Uh, as Omar said in the beginning about the uh, feminist kind of spin on the occupation of Kashmir, uh, we saw some of this too, as uh, Bernie Sanders was being accused of being uh, rude to this uh, woman New York Times reporter who is also a, uh, a scion of uh, a hedge fund manager, apparently. But, uh, you know, that's just a, a side issue. Um, uh, there was uh, an, uh, one of my, uh, a paisan, a uh, South Asian American, who's a reporter uh, for the New York Times. We made a big deal of this, Sopan Deb. Um, and he, uh, he, he made quite an issue of this, uh, about the rudeness of, uh, of the reporter, uh, uh, rather, the rudeness of Bernie Sanders, um, and uh, he got piled on, uh, and he responded by saying, um, oh, your insults caught me to the core, um, and I'm a big Twitter fan, so uh, I, I had to clarify, um, when you say, cuts me to the core, uh, do you mean, like, uh, excuse, saying something like, excuse me to a reporter, and asking uh, about anti-American chants in Nicaragua, or cuts me to the core like the way the Contras opened up children's stomachs. Um, and uh, uh, Sopan Deb did not respond to that uh, Twitter inquiry uh, about uh, how he meant that analogy of cutting to the core, um, and then later deleted his comments. Uh, <laughs> Uh, to be fair, many people were piling in on that one, but uh, I'd like to think I got it in a little bit. But, but more 
part of the point is, uh, you know, if you're going to talk about identity, if you're going to talk about what this means, it, it, it kind of has to mean something. That's how, that's how I feel. Um, I remember in uh, 20, I believe it was 2018, the idea that uh, uh, Oprah might be president. Uh, that was floated out there. Um, and it was floated out by Bill Crystal. Um, if you don't know who Bill Crystal is, uh, he was one of the uh, big, uh, loud uh, megaphone voices for the uh, war in Iraq. Um, and uh, uh, those were the cheerleaders of that event. And uh, my response to that was basically, uh, this was a kind of a wistful uh, status I had, or wistful tweet I had, was uh, diversity in a system compromised by wealth means seeing more people who look like you who stand for nothing. Um, and uh, I, I, I felt that way uh, until really the ascension of Ilan Omar. Um, I definitely felt it when we uh, elected our um, first black, openly gay, uh, pro-cop, uh, pro-developer mayor, um, and I, uh, I, 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 I do enjoy seeing the change. Thank you for the grumbles. Um, yeah, uh, we saw her colors during this uh, school strike, so uh, I feel fine with that. Lori can change her her path if she wants to. That's on her. Um, but uh, uh, but with Ilan Omar, it's uh, coming out fighting and coming out fighting for for standing for something that. Uh, the identity of what it means to be a person of color, what the solidarity of that means, uh, the scope of what that can be, and that we don't have to merely uh, be running uh, uh, distraction or running cover for uh, uh, for the corporate interests that back politicians typically, that we can find our own path, uh, that we don't have to have uh, the confidence of a mediocre white man. We don't have to aspire uh, to mass shooting confidence, uh, that we do not have to take that path whatsoever. Um, uh, another figure that I was very impressed by who ran for uh, Democratic, uh, was running for Democratic uh, congressman here, Anthony Clark, um, he was uh, sponsored by the Justice Democrats, and part of it was he's a veteran, um, and they uh, uh, were very much like, you could run as a veteran and uh, you know show that you're a normal, everyday guy. And uh, he chose as an opportunity uh, to denounce his service entirely and talk about how when he uh, came face to face with uh, one of the people he arrested in Iraq, he realized um, this kid is like the students I've taught. This kid is just like me. And uh, it was cool to see the Justice Democrat faces at that uh, particular rally. I was, uh, I was very impressed. I'm impressed by this turn of events. And uh, I know uh, people may be... Uh, no, maybe feeling that I'm uh, cutting uh, short the criticism of Ellen Omar, and I, I do respect that. Uh, she did offend Chelsea Clinton uh, with her. Uh, Chelsea Clinton, as you know, um, philanthropist, aspiring politician, good friend of uh, Jalan Maxwell, uh, Jeffrey Epstein's right-hand uh, pedophile groomer. Um, uh, noted and esteemed uh, Chelsea Clinton. Uh, that caused a bit of controversy uh, when uh, she came out and made statements that were critical of Israel. Uh, everybody is familiar with the situation in Israel, right? I think so. I'll break it down for you real quick, right? We got our we got our our version of it. I think we talk about it like a sort of a Reese's Pieces analogy. You know, it's like uh, you got Israel and my Palestine. You got Palestine, my Israel, right? Two exotic flavors that'll slowly annihilate each other. Right? I think that's that's the uh, that's the bent of it. Now, if you go to a country uh, that say is not intimately tied with uh, any of the. Uh, the arms or foreign policy network of uh, the U.S. or other kind of Anglosphere countries, um, you get kind of a different analogy. It's kind of like, uh, oh, man, there's a whole lot of Palestine in my Israel, right? It's like, like all of it, right? And it's like, it's like never coming out, you know? It's like, 
it's like it's like glued in there real tight. Even if you only want the two pieces on the side, just not coming out. It's a, to extend the candy bar analogy, it's like uh, like they're glued in there with nougat. You know, they're just like real tight in there with nougat. If nougat was like say many many decades long military occupation, so uh, don't want to get too controversial here. I just want to say uh, Israel makes a lousy candy bar. So. Um, uh, all right, some people are still with me. I like it. Um, no, no, I, I, I do think uh, Ilan Omar in her statements, uh, I think she went too far, and she did apologize for it. And uh, today she talks about how she is running in support of a Jewish refugee, Bernie Sanders. Um, she makes her spanser. No, that's, that's a serious statement. And who he did, uh, he is the son of Jewish refugees who were fleeing the Holocaust. And... Um, uh, she talks about that, um, and uh, I think you know. I think it's very clear where she stands. I do understand the controversy about uh, all the Benjamins. People may have heard of that. That's a very dated reference, and I also <laughs> criticize her for that. I think Puff Daddy sucks. I think he uh, was involved in the killing of Biggie Smalls. Another uh, essay, though. I'll come back to that one. No, but I do 100% respect Ilan Omar uh, for apologizing for her marks. That's the best thing you can do. And you can clearly see that in contrast to who we have running things at the moment um, and who supports the synagogue shooters. Okay, anyway, I'm going to keep going with this one. Um, but, but I know there's another criticism that came out of her. Uh, there was a... a Dinner, uh, Council of American Islamic Relations, uh, CARE, uh, where she was a speaker and she was uh, kind of cut out and quoted as saying, uh, I, uh, some people did something, and she was describing 9-11. Now, in context, what she was saying is there were some people who did an action and then we all have to take the blame, right? Like just the same way I don't blame all white people for the synagogue shootings, right? <laughs> At least not all the time. Um, but um, I... Uh, that's the kind of statement she was trying to make is you can't just discriminate against a person because they belong to a group, right? Especially a group the size of a religion of a billion people. Uh, that's the point she was making. Um, of course, for this, she was met with um, uh, a whole attack uh, from the GOP all the way up to having a video released by the president with her saying this statement and the towers exploding behind her was released through Twitter. Um, so, you know, uh, I do want to make inroads here, and I do want to say I can see fault with her making the statement of describing 9-11 as some people did something. I do not think she should have described it that way. I think she should have described it as uh, Bush did 9-11. And uh, truly cemented her support with millennial voters is uh, uh, what I wanted to. Guys, thank you for being such good sports. I recognize... Bush did not do 9-11, okay? Don't, don't get me confused. George Bush has a much higher body count. Thank you very much. Thank you again to Irish Singh. One more time. Come on, come on. <laughs> I mean, he did do it, right? Uh, uh, anyway. Before we move on to the final portion of the evening, first, I would like to pass around this delightful hat. It's actually not delightful. If I wear it, I'm going to ask you to debate me, but I won't do that. Because, uh, but as you may have noticed as you came in, there is a donation bucket, and all the money that you donate is going to be split equally among all the writers that you saw tonight. 
if you wanted if you you know didn't see that budget, you can put money in the hat. If you want to put more money, you can put money in the hat. If you don't want to give us any money, that's fine. It's a free show. You don't have to fucking do it. Just give the hat and just move it. Just keep it moving. That's fine. I don't care. So I'm going to start that now. You What? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, just give it to Erica. She's... Yeah, it's better that way. Um, anyway, but before, before we get to the final debate portion of the evening... Oh gosh, I feel like I feel like oh, I want to play a game so bad. Please welcome to the stage Kevin Johnson for another round of the news quiz. I'm sorry, Tom. I have no games, only this quiz. All right, you know, you know, you saw, you were here. Most of you were here. I think. I don't know. Whatever. Fuck. I don't know. Get on stage, somebody. Just, just free me from this prison. You. No, 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 wait, 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 wait. As I always say at the skewer, we practice consent. Do you want to be up here? I need an, I need a motherfucking enthusiastic yes, motherfucker. Yes! All right! Motherfucker. Am I going here? You can do whatever the fuck you want, I guess. You might want to be closer to the mic, though. Also, it's not Christmas yet. It's, it's, it's cold out. It's close enough. It's cold. Okay. What's your name? John. John. Yes, Hello. Hi. Hello, John. Hi, John. Uh, yeah, cool. So do you want to do, do this on your own or do you want help? I'm not familiar with what we're doing. That's why I picked It's a news quiz. It's... It's a news quiz. Two truths and a lie. Just tell me which one's fake. Okay. You can do this all by yourself, or you can be the, like the avatar of the people and have them all yell at you, and then you can choose okay, what is I get, correct. I get lifelines. Kind of, yeah. Okay. Do you want that or no? Yeah, I'm okay with that, yeah. You want that? Maybe. Well, let's, let's do that. Do I have to, do I have this to, is an all or nothing. You don't get to go, oh, this one's too hard. To help me out. On it. But what if I don't need the lifeline, then? Well, then you, didn't, you don't have a choice. You have a choice now. Okay. I don't, I just, I don't still think you can say All right, we're just going to go. We're just going to see what happens. All right. This is the first story. Hitman hires Hitman. Who hires Hitman? Who hires Hitman? Who hires Hitman? Who tells police? Yeah, there you go. I think it's five total. Yeah, it's five. Okay. And then the police. Which are another Hitman... So six Second story A tech reviewing website named Tom's Hardware Creates a test to determine which CPU Is better as a weapon I believe that from Tom's Hardware You you can make it like a mace They're on some shit on Tom's Hardware They on some shit Story three, Glenn Levitt Their capsule collection is sort of like Tide Pods But whiskey for the millennials. That's true, for sure. That okay. one's actually true. Okay. Yeah. So which one do you believe is fake? I think the first one was probably fake. You think the first one that the hitman... Okay. The hitman that hires the hitman who hires a hitman who hires a hitman who hires a hitman who tells police is true. Holy shit. That did happen. So is Tom's hardware that was fake? What's up? Is Tom's hardware that was fake? Tom's hardware is fake. They did not see which CPU was best as a weapon. They, see, they saw which CPU was better at cooking pancakes. 
sounds about right. It's yeah. AMD versus Intel. Which one's hotter? So I'm cook yeah, the pancake. Yeah. It makes sense. All right, your second set of stories. Okay. After, the failing, after failing to fix potholes, Mexico mayor was tied to a truck and dragged to the streets. I'm not saying that we should do politi- I mean, uh, like poetic justice. I'm just saying it's an option. Story two. The, Oscar, the Oscars disqualifies the best international uh, feature entry from Nigeria, the country's first admission to the academy, because they had too much English, which is their primary language. Thank you. Motherfucker! <laughs> you don't need help. Story three. An anti-vaxxer said she gave trick-or-treaters candy licked by her pet rat. I heard about something similar to that. Does anybody know for sure if that was true? If it's similar, that one's well, that was it. Yeah, I know. I got that technicality kind of thing. You can take people up here and you, you embarrass them like that. I don't embarrass nobody. You chose to be up here, motherfucker. You chose yourself. Which, which story is it? Stop with all this diddle daddle bullshit. Story one actually happened. They dragged that motherfucker through the streets. Story three, yeah, there wasn't a pet rat. Um, they, uh, she gave, well, she claims to have given out chicken pox infected lollipops, claiming they help with lifelong immunity. Yeah. Like a vaccine would. I, I don't understand no, it. I don't I understand it. Yeah. I don't understand yeah. it. Anyway, okay, your third set of stories. Wait, did, did I win? Did no. I... Damn it. Okay. This is the third set of stories, goddammit. This is the last one that you can leave. No, they're all good. Okay, first story. New Jersey man allegedly threatens farmers who denied him sex with their animals. Story two. Iowa man floods his home with blood to scare family to get away time from them. (laughs) Story three. Video showing a mayor in an orgy goes viral and he still gets reelected. He must have fucked real good, Tom says. You must have fucked real good. Can I ask the audience? Two. Two. The blood just showed up. Oh, okay. There we go. Why am I up here? You're going with you're going with your your people in the audience for number two. Yeah, I trust them. That is that is that is the fake answer, and that you were correct in listening to them. So that's actually a mixture of two stories. The Iowa family's basement flooded with animal blood from a neighboring meat locker. They just flooded with a whole bunch of blood. It's very stinky. And then a Kiwi, as in a New, a New Zealander, holidaying in Gold Coast, wherever the fuck that is, flooded his apartment to get rid of a sex worker, which is, I don't know. So I just mixed those stories together because I was just like, I couldn't think of nothing. Oh, cool. Uh, thanks, Joe. Do you want a drink ticket? Hey, cool. You did it. Oh, Oh, he dropped his American spirits. All right, cool. Thank you. All right. We're one step closer to the debate. I just got to have Tom come back onto the stage and introduce it. Thank you one more time, Kevin Johnson, for the, the, the news quiz. Yeah. All right. The final segment of the skewer is the skewer debate. There's always one story every month that's too big for one person's opinion. We have to get both sides, and then y'all have to, the audience, decide the winner. Let me get our debaters onto the stage. Our first debater is Erica Dreisbach. 
Yeah. Erica is a writer, poet, and computer programmer in Chicago. She is co-producer of this show and is super good and great. Our other debater is, huh? It's me! Whoa! <laughs> Who is going to moderate the debate? It can't be me. Ke- come on. <laughs> Kevin, you're moderating the debate. Oh, man, I had, like, almost sat down, and then he's, like, just got to moderate the debate. All right, so, what are y'all debating this time around, y'all? Oh, wait, no, that's my part. What's the question? What's the topic? Oh, you guys are, you guys are going to debate. And the topic is, who would win? Who would win in the debate? <laughs> Tom, please, please tell me, what are you arguing for? Obviously, I'm arguing that Erica would win. <laughs> Obviously. Erica, what are you debating? I'm arguing that if we were to ever debate, obviously Tom would win. <laughs> wow. Never before has this happened. Who would like to go first? Erica, seven to the gladiators. Ring. Yeah. Ow! You fucked it. It's okay. Don't worry. It's okay. First, I want to congratulate us, Tom and me, on finding a way to debate each other such that no matter the outcome, we each win. Tom throws around the term genius in a way that I find actually very stressful. <laughs> But sincerely, this debate topic is chef's kiss. It's genius. Here's why Tom wins an obscure debate. He is better at this than I am. He's more dynamic behind the mic. He tilts his head to 45 and 90 degrees. He knee bends. He flexes to considerable full wingspan like a peregrine falcon. He remembers to pull his head away when he does a big, loud line. Joker's trick! (laughs) And he knows his audience. I'm up here trying to squeeze laughs out of the same old, tired, fucking reference to Magnolia Street by Katie Curtis (laughs) and other cultural signifiers known to practicing lesbians of the early 2000s, the kind of material that played real well in San Francisco in the late 2000s. It it didn't play that well. (laughs) Meanwhile, Tom will say Yu-Gi-Oh! And the crowd goes wild! I don't know what Yu-Gi-Oh! is. When I say it, usually, it's crickets. And then I'll panic and purposely pronounce it Yujayo, hoping for, I don't know, sex laughter, I guess. My big move at the skewer is when I don't get a laugh, I just stand here and say nothing and accept discomfort laughter. (laughs) Or when it gets real crunchy, I'll say, I don't care if you think I'm funny. (laughs) Falsehoods 
Empty space? That's what I have on offer. It works well enough, but is it as good as Tom's dense paragraph stacks laden with exclamation points and breathless run-on sentences? Obviously not! Tom's going to tell you that I, Erica, have appeared in a lot of live lit shows, and therefore that means I must be good at this. As if it's super duper hard to get on a live lit show. As if the process is more rigorous than, one, come to the live lit show, two, approach the producer and say, hey, can I be on this show? (laughs) Most shows are literally begging for content. Hint, hint. That's the secret now you know. Also, if I don't hear my own voice over a public address system at least once a month, I start to waste away. Perversities and abominations ensue, etc. I need stage time the way other people need to clip their toenails. It's like a hygiene thing for me. Earlier tonight, I asked my husband, hey, what's a hygiene thing that a person has to do every month? He said, change your tampons. that it's too funny when Tom gives the litany of my resume don't be fooled it's not special you might think I would argue that Tom would win our debate just because more of Tom's friends are here but that is a sword that cuts two ways I might be handed victory just to fuck with him don't do that tonight Because that is not the hollow victory at stake here. We're talking about who can straight up out comedic debate the other. But I don't need rhetoric to convince you. I have science. (laughs) Tomorrow, when Tom has diligently posted this podcast, because not only is he a premium debater, he is an impeccable co-producer. At that time, you can look at the levels on the SoundCloud audio. All the big peaks are going to be Tom jokes. As Seward. <laughs> that was me saying assured in a funny way. In conclusion, it's Falcon Boy. That's who's the better debater. Don't worry about me. I got my own things going on. <laughs> I'm great at lots of things. I'm better than Tom at playing piano, for instance. I'm, I'm really good at piano, you guys. All the scales. Up the whole length and then back down. I'm a Moonlight Sonata aficionata. <laughs> and I'm a good enough debater to know when I'm outranked. And that is the case here. I'm not ashamed of it. I am just stating a fact. Who would win in a skewer debate? Folks, it's clear. Weekly. Uh, anyone, anyone who votes for me instead of Erica is canceled. I'm not going to ask you to fucking doubt your own eyes. I am a white man. I've got mine. I don't need you to give me any more. And fair enough that as a white woman, Erica is only one tick down on the privileged ladder, but hey, one's not none. (laughs) I'm a founder of this show. I've been in every single one of these. Even in the one that I took a vacation, I came up and did the news quiz because I'm fucking addicted. (laughs) 
and even since Erica has joined as co-producer, I host this shit two-thirds of the time. I've had my spotlight. Voting for me over Erica is simply not logical. To do so is to court cancellation. Folks, I don't have a resume. With vanishingly few exceptions, the only creative things I do are for shows that I started myself because no one else would have me. (laughs) What does that tell you? And fucking, here comes the part where I asked Erica, hey, can you give me a list of all the live lit shows you were on? And she fucking sabotaged me by putting that part in. Uh, So here it is. Erica, by comparison, has been on live lit shows since before I was even brave enough to shakingly approach a producer after a show and choke out, (laughs) how how can I be on to show, daddy? (laughs) And here's the fucking fun part, Erica. They didn't let me. <laughs> Erica has been on Riot Club, The Paper Machete, The Moth, The Moth Grand Slam, the special version of The Moth for geniuses only. <laughs> Story Club, Do Not Submit, 10 by 9, Nerdalogs, The Elevator Sessions, that's all she wrote. Lit Mash, The God, Sex, and Death Variety Hour, Ladylike Essay Fiesta, and fucking Jeopardy, like from TV! <laughs> As if that weren't enough. She headlined a solo slam poetry showcase at the legendary Green Mill, the birthplace of slam poetry as a form. I was there, and Erica's poetry was really, really fucking good. And here's the, here's the fucking kicker. Is that, like, real talk? I hate slam poetry. <laughs> I think it's really bad, actually, and shouldn't happen. Uh... <laughs> Another reason not to vote for me, don't appreciate poetry. (laughs) Small-minded, child's brain. (laughs) Erica is also a computer programmer, which means that she has augmented her considerable wit, charisma, humor, and ability to write with an actual trade that our capitalist masters will pay you for. (laughs) My other skill besides, like, this is that uh, I can beat Donkey Kong on the Nintendo. (laughs) Erica is more focused, harder working, and funnier than me, and that sounds pretty damning, but you have to understand that that's not as huge a strike against me as you think, especially uh, when you realize that my shortcomings are so understandable, when you take into account that most of my energy for the last year has been uh, dedicated to dealing with giving birth to and raising my infant... Huh? No, that was her. Oops, misread it. (laughs) Let me read it correctly. Ah, here's the right line. I am the whining podcast man who is constantly asking you to subscribe. You step to me, and what are you going to get? You're going to get, Mmm, excuse me. Can you please listen to a hundred recorded hours of my voice, please? I have three podcasts because I have rot in my soul. Erica has no podcasts because she respects you.
I am 29 years old, and Erica is... 30. I actually... I, Erica is, and here I have written on the page in fucking asterisk, beat, and then 30. So she fucking foresaw my joke like a genius. So... That in mind, please vote for her because, as the saying goes, age before beauty. But also, to be clear, uh, beauty before less beauty. <laughs> and hey, honestly, I'm going to be real with you. It's no problem if you don't vote for me. I'm not going to be mad. I basically expect to lose now. I'm like a heel now. I actually like it. <laughs> Let's review my debating history. December 2015. Loss. Starting off like a dumbass. <laughs> February 2016, win, redemption. April 2016, win, riding high, starting to feel hope. Huge mistake. August 2016, loss, no biggie, I'm two and two, it's fine. April 2017, win, I'm a genius. I will never fuck up. October 2017, loss. February 2018, loss. April 2019, loss. June 2019, loss. Starting to feel a pattern forming around here. August 2019, lost. October 2019, in this debate, my opponent was sick and couldn't show up. I was unopposed. Somehow still a loss. <laughs> folks, folks, I am 3 and 11. I'm basically the big bitch who always loses. <laughs> and here's the, here's the real disgusting thing. I'm secretly using this information as a pity tactic to make you vote for me. I'm basically going like, mm, please, I'm so thirsty for a win. But, but you have to pull it into my mouth. Ugh, yuck, avoid rewarding this. But enough jokes, enough of this silliness. Erica is a true genius. I'll say it, a genius. A peerless writer, a fearless artist, and a great friend. I trusted Erica to deliver a speech at my wedding, and she spent an hour interviewing both me and my wife about how we met and fell in love, and from this, crafted a beautiful piece of writing that made me cry. We included a book of Erica's poetry about love and marriage as a wedding favor for all of our guests because it meant that much to us. Having her there and having her as a part of my life has been one of the truest honors I've been lucky enough to experience. And what did I do in return for Erica's wedding? Nothing. I didn't even go. My excuse? I hadn't met her yet. <laughs> Sounds like the kind of bullshit excuse a bad friend would make. <laughs> to me, the choice is clear. The winner, the only person who could be considered the winner, is Erica Dreisbach. No one does it better. Those are some good, those are some good and touching opening statements. But I got some questions I ain't never seen before. Go give it to you. Okay, who wants to go first with these questions? Me. 
You. Okay. Step to the mic. Step to the mic. All right. From the only person that's been to every show, that's me. Um, Tom has had You Don't Understand, Shuffle Quest, Anime Sickos, and of course, The Skewer. What do you believe is his next inevitable podcast? What is that going to be about? Sous vide, he has mentioned, so I want something else from you. I want to give my real answer, okay. not a joke answer, not even a funny, like... That's fine. We've already been sentimental. Just fucking do it. Uh, I think it's going to be uh, like an undercover while at work podcast oh. from like under his, his little bit like muttering like, oh, today Frank came by and... <laughs> 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 that it's something that he just mutters to himself during the day yeah. and that this this piece of shit podcast infuriatingly becomes the breakout success that yeah. leads him to have the creative freedom to just be a full-time creator and baker he starts a speakeasy a little a little bakery speakeasy out of his own apartment that becomes extremely successful and it's just uh, no, I can't <laughs> Cool. All right. Yeah. All right. This question is from a listener, and that listener is anonymous. Tom, when did you? When exactly did you realize you were the softest of soft boys? <laughs> this is from a long-time listener. Long-time listener, first-time writer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> See, this speaks to a fundamental issue with my terrible brain, which is, and, and my wife will speak to this, I don't remember fucking anything that has ever happened to me. <laughs> She's like, what was puberty like as a boy? And I'm like, I'm a boy? Huh? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> just like, she was like, like, what was high school like for you? I'm like, oh, bad. <laughs> She's like, anything more specific? And I'm like, no. <laughs> uh, so I got fucking nothing, unfortunately. So All right. You've just always been that soft, I guess. Anonymous also asks you a question, Erica, if you would step to the mic. When did you know that poetry and activism were for you? Isn't that so much nicer? Wait, poetry and activism? Yeah. Poetry and activism? I'm an activist. I guess so. Fuck yeah. Yeah, you give out like pamphlets and shit and tell people to vote. I guess that, you know, that's something. I'm going to give another answer, not trying to be funny, but maybe you'll laugh. Uh, she does really want you to laugh. I, 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 just, I just saw other people doing it and I was like, I can do that. You know, you, you feel that call. You feel called to it. I, sh- I should be there. But I also feel that anytime anyone's on stage, like it could be the Rolling Stones on stage and I'm like, I should be there. Uh, okay. Okay. So, this question is for both of you, and I actually want Erica to go first. This is, this is from longtime listener Janderson. Um, what is Tom's greatest weakness? Uh. Uh. <laughs> There's so many to choose from. Uh. Okay. Okay. If we're, we're defining weaknesses, like the thing that he can't, oh, it just, mm, just, if he sees it, oh, he's just got to, mm, mm, just, mm, uh, 
I uh, don't know what those noises mean. Like a, a cute small child no. with a little bit of self possession. Mm, just oh, just oh, look at the child. Ugh. Look, he smiled. Oh, but now he's not smiling. His face is just like not like all together now. Oh, that's that's his. All right, Tom. Similarly, what is your greatest weakness? <laughs> Uh, that's gonna be psychic damage. Oh, you just you just got it. All right. Well, that was a good funny answer. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, so let's finish off in these closing statements, and then we're gonna judge. That seems cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go. Erica resisted this debate for years. I would propose, like, hey, 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 Erica, hey. Hey, Erica, hey, listen. Wouldn't it be fun to do a debate like me versus you? And she'd go, no. <laughs> there would be months where, you know, it was like two weeks till the show. We couldn't find a debater. And I, I was the only person scheduled to debate. We couldn't find an opponent. I would go, hey, you know, we need a debater. There's no guarantee we can get one in time. What, you know, what's this? What about you, you, you debate me? And she'd go, no. The argument always was, I don't want to know how that would go. For a long time, I didn't understand what she meant by that. But preparing for this debate has got me to thinking, and I've done some thinking. And I can now only uh, interpret this as her acknowledging that her inherent compassionate nature (laughs) would be horrified by the inevitable fucking devastation she would hand me to see me gutted and gasping on the floor would bring her no pleasure she would even go easy on me and i would somehow lose even harder she's simply too too kind to agree to this debate and by accepting it carve into destiny my horrible defeat in which she would hand me my heart in a bag, and while my wiggling pre-corpse is still struggling to comprehend what's going on, she would snatch the bag back, throw it on the ground, and smoosh it. (laughs) Metaphorically, of course. Erica sometimes mentions that she feels a bit jealous of Eric Ruel, skewer co-founder, for being the original co-producer. She feels that as the replacement, as it were, I wouldn't say that, she would. Uh, She feels the need to surpass him. Well, folks, Eric and I only debated once, and I won that time. (laughs) If you vote for her, you will propel her to the promised land that Eric never, never reached. Think of the relief it would be for her. Think of the breakthrough. Think of the self-actualization. It's basically therapy. (laughs) You'd all become honorary Frasers. In conclusion, I am a muddy piggy whose every decision is motivated by a servile hunger for praise. People recognize this and correctly despise it. Why do I even need to convince you to vote for Erica? You knew it in your heart before I began speaking. Folks, do what you know is right. Woo! Woo!
Well, originally, this was what I had written. As I've clearly established, Tom is the better debater. There's an insistent part of me that still wants to win. I can't win as myself, so I must become Tom. (laughs) And then I was going to put a little widow's peak on the front of my forehead (laughs) and go to my full wingspan. That's what I had originally written. Instead, I'm going to say that, number one, I'm so still super fucking jealous of and insecure about Eric Ruel, the albatross on my back. I feel like a second wife where there were pictures of the first wife around or like there was a carving Tom plus Eric forever that was like in a drawer and he thought I'd never notice, but I did notice. It was there and it was in the form of the two of them, arms around each other, and it was the Facebook cover photo for years. And I'm not even on Facebook. But every time I would promote the show on Twitter, I would check for the link, and there I'd see it, brother to brother, (laughs) arms around each other. So that is accurate. I don't know who you should vote for in order to vote for me. Because if you vote for me, my position is that Tom is the better debater. So vote for Tom. Do you see the mind tricks we've laid for you? There's no way to do this. It's good. We win. And you win. Everyone wins. In conclusion, we love you. Happy birthday, Skewer. Compelling, compelling, compelling. Okay. So by round of applause, we are going to judge their arguments, not them or the other whatever we are going to judge both of their arguments that does that does that did i clarify that whatever whatever words they had on their thing like whoever was holding words that's what you're going to vote for when i point to them cool but please make noise for both of them even if you hate the other one it doesn't matter just be nice okay Oh, yes, we do need an impartial judge. Does somebody want to... Benjamin. He's not impartial. Is Carl impartial? No. No, fuck Carl. His his wife? Actually, if anyone's going to vote against Tom, it's going to be his wife. You are an impartial judge if you would like to be. Is that okay? She agrees. Okay. All right. If you believe Tom's paper, I don't know whose argument he was arguing for. I don't fucking care. If you believe his paper and his words won the debate, please clap. Okay. If you do believe Erica and her paper and her words were the victor, be louder than that. By the powers vested in me, you have vanquished the ghost of Eric to become the winner. 
Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. E- Emmy. Oh, oh, shit. I forgot. I have no powers anymore. Emmy, who was the judge? Who won? Who won? What? You're, you're whispering, and I cannot hear you because you don't have a microphone. I forgot. I forgot I ordained a judge and everything. This is why I'm not in law. Erica, you did it. You did it. You did it. Are there any words you would like to say? Doesn't matter. Tom, please close the show. Yeah, the show is over. Um, we are the Skewer. We are the first Wednesday every month. The next show is going to be Monday, December 4th. We are also a podcast. If you want to listen to it and not come to the show, you can just fucking do it on your computer. You, f- yeah, 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 dingus. Uh, thank you for coming. This has been everything. Uh, thanks for being fun. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you like what you heard, you can always come to the live show the first Wednesday of every month at Cafe Mustache in Chicago. Or if you like the podcast, you could subscribe or review it at any sort of place where you get podcasts. I know you know how to get podcasts because you're listening to one now. Uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. If you want to know more or to be on the show, uh, you can always contact us at skewerchicago at gmail.com. Until next time, goodbye. <laughs>